this or where you're from. Um, today we're talking with Miriam Filela. She is the Executive Director of Earth Charter International and the Center for Education for Sustainable Development at University for Peace. She's been working with the Earth Charter Initiative since early 1996 and she coordinates the UNESCO Chair on Education for Sustainable Development with the Earth Charter. Miriam holds a PhD in Education from La Salle University and a master's degree in public administration from Harvard Kennedy School of Government, where she was an Edward Mason Fellow. Um, I know uh, Miriam for many years already, and I'm so delighted to be talking to her. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you very much, Irma. I'm delighted to be here with you, and thank you for the opportunity and the invitation. I know you for a couple of years already, but uh, people watching this might not be. So my first question always is, can you please share a little bit about yourself so we get to know you a bit better? Sure. So I was born in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, and I was I used to spend a lot of time in the during my holiday uh, as a child in the farm of my father, which uh, in those days was a time where there was no electricity. So I used to spend maybe about two months of my end of the year holiday in the farm. And I think that really it cultivated in me a sense of connection with, with nature. Um, although coming from the capital of such a big country, I was able to spend significant time in nature uh, in my father's farm without electricity in those days. It was was very, very important. I'm someone who would certainly likes not to be um, located in one place, like do you work with an ac academic field, with the UN or with a social networks or, or non-formal uh, uh, organizations. I like to be able to dance uh, in different spheres um, and to be able to move from these different realms of work and action. UN, academia, uh, NGOs, um, and etc. So I think uh, that helps to give some indication of who am I and what I like to do. Fantastic. So you are, um, what important to you is connecting with people in different layers of, of our community. Yeah, sure. Yes. And then we're talking about the Earth Charter. Um, it, the first one is uh, respect and care for the community of life. And that connects with, you know, wanting to be able to connect to all the different elements of the community of life. So you've been involved with the Earth Charter and the Earth Charter Initiative for many years already. Can you share a little bit on how that came to be? Yes. Yeah, so I was very young. Um, I... I got involved in their charter directly uh, in 1996. And I, I can say that one of my challenges as a young woman from Latin America without really mastering English too much was to deal with a lot of old 
older or elder leaders, mostly men, and have to articulate uh, that process and, and make my voice heard. So I think it's it's quite interesting for me to remember that in the midst of being involved in the Earth Chat in the mid uh, of 90s and deal with with that fears, I would say, as a young woman, how can you 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 ask for to for the voice, for the floor, to speak something or to make your to share your 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 voice, your feelings was was I think quite interesting as the beginning of my career in the mid nineties, uh, dealing not only with a dominated male dominated environment, but also a elder visionary leaders of that time and having to invite myself often to not be uh, with fear to to speak out so I think that helps to give a little bit of my how I started I would say but uh, in the mid of the 90s I helped to coordinate the the consultation and drafting process uh, that took place around the the drafting of the earth charter so that's how I I started. Yes. And at a certain point, you became executive director of Earth Charter International. So um, we're going to talk about the Earth Charter um, uh, uh, after this. But what is the role of the Earth Charter International? So the Earth Charter International is the international hub of this global movement that has particularly a function of uh, catalyzing, promoting, stimulating, uh, or inviting individuals and institutions to embrace uh, and use their charter uh, and bring their charter to their context. So there's the role, the main role of their charter international is, um, is to function as a hub for this decentralized movement that involves individuals and, and organizations that share uh, the vision of their charter. That's what we do here from Costa Rica. The Earth Charter International is located at the University for Peace, as you say. How important is that location? Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, well, first off, the University for Peace was uh, uh, created by uh, UN declaration over 40 years ago. It's quite a unique institution. Um, I don't think there is such an institution like the University for Peace in the world because it has a very special relation with the United Nations and also a, a very special mission. So we have an, uh, a center, a Earth Charter Center on Education for Sustainable Development that is located here on the campus of the University for Peace. And uh, part of our work uh, involves coordinating a UNESCO chair on education for sustainable development that has a focus to work on that intersection between sustainability uh, what does that mean? <laughs> and what are the values and principles uh, that offer a sort of um, basis for the vision of sustainability and how to bring that um, with their charter, using their charter as an instrument into education in a transformative way. So I think it's, it's uh, quite interesting because their charter initiative, their charter international, the work we do is not fully academic, but we are in an academic institution. So again, it gives us uh, uh, our unconventional uh, institutional uh, 
status again. We are sometimes we are academic because we are part of the University for Peace uh, located here in Costa Rica, but we also function as a global decentralized movement, um, a sort of advocacy in uh, civil society organization. So we kind of have different identities. And I think the fact that we are at the University for Peace enriches our different identities. Yes, that allows you to dance. Yes, indeed. <laughs> to come back to that. So we mentioned the Earth Charter a couple of times. Can you, and I have the, the um, like the four pillars in, in, um, in the, as an image here. Um, can you maybe tell a little bit more about what the Earth Charter is? Hmm. So the Earth Charter uh, is the result of a multicultural and multisectoral dialogue. Um, a dialogue that took place in the 90s and had a particular purpose to identify common shared human shared values um, that could guide humanity towards a more just, sustainable and peaceful world. So the question that, that guided our dialogue and consultation was, what are those common shared values that could help us shift from this unsustainable society uh, shift us away from this fragmented view of the world um, into a vision or an aspiration of, of sustainability. So the Urshad is the result of that dialogue, uh, but it can be seen as, a, as an ethical reference. It can be seen as, a, as an ethical framework uh, that can guide our decisions and can also be used as, a, as an instrument of education um, to stimulate our and expand, I would say, our, our thinking and consciousness. So the Urshad is organized um, in four parts. Um, there are 16 principles organized in four parts. It starts uh, with a preamble, then it goes into 16 principles organized in these four parts, and then it ends with a, 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 something that's called the way forward. It's a sort of a conclusion. It's important to, to emphasize that um, a key purpose of their charter is to expand and deepen our consciousness with regards to how we ought to relate not only with ourselves, uh, with other people, but also how we ought to relate to the large living world. So a, a big, their shadow really makes an important emphasis on, on our interdependence, um, on the need for us actually to become aware and to realize our interdependence with the large living world, but also to uh, become aware on the interdependence of all these various challenges that humanity currently faces. So the, the, the challenge to ensure ecological integrity, which is part two of their charter, with the challenge to ensure social and economic justice, the challenge to ensure democracy, nonviolence, and peace. These are all interrelated and interconnected um, challenges that require uh, a systemic and uh, integrated view or approach to address these challenges. So it's very important to emphasize that there's chatter does look at that, but uh, we can see it from the preamble uh, uh, and the purpose of the preamble is to situate ourselves in the current challenges humanity face, but also the opportunities that we have to address that if we are able to really embrace and cultivate uh, a nurse ethic. And not only a nurse ethic, um, 
um, of responsibility, but also a nurse ethic of care for the community of life. I would like just to end by saying uh, an important uh, role that their shutter place is, is in expanding our view from a, with an anthropocentric approach, like what is important for human beings, to a view that is more life-centric uh, or eco-centric. So it's, it's an important role that they're trying to play. Um, so I just wanted to end by saying that uh, a few things that we, could, we can highlight from or well, in their charter. Yes. So um, if we're talking about the sustainable development goals, it's very um, much centered around us as peoples. Um, and the Earth Charter gives you the opportunity to expand that, to look at the community of life. Yes, sure. And that's really central. Um, and, and you can see that from the language that was selected and that's used in the Earth Charter, uh, that is more poetic, that uh, amplifies our views regarding our role in the large spectrum of which we are part. So it's poetic, um, it's more inspirational language, but it's used this language of we are part of a community of life. It's, it's precisely to evoke in us, uh, I would say, a, a sense of connection and, and emotion. So, yeah, so I think that's one of the many things. And actually, I would like to, to stress that I, I, I do see that the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals that were launched in 2015, a major, uh, I would say, added value is that the SDG added the peace agenda into the sustainable development agenda that until then was seen by the UN and many others, including universities, as a separate disciplines or separate uh, approaches or challenges. Uh, however, if you look at their charter that was launched in the year 2000, the worldview that is articulated in their shadow already saw that the whole realm of peace and the challenges to ensure uh, long-lasting peace was already part of uh, ensuring social and economic justice and ecolo ecological integrity. So their shadow foresaw that in the year 2000. Uh, but I do think that certainly the SDGs uh, reinforces uh, that idea that Peace is not uh, isolated, ensuring peace and addressing uh, potential conflicts is not an isolated thing from uh, or separate from um, the challenge to address um, ecological integrity, for instance. Yes, yeah, thank you so much, Miriam. Um, I think also because of the language, like you say, it's poetic, it, um, some people um, consider it being abstract. So a lot of people um, find it um, difficult to apply. Um, so can you maybe share some examples on um, how these principles can be uh, put into action? Yeah, sure. Yes, ethics and values is, a, is a something quite interesting because we often hear uh, on the importance of ethics when we are looking at the challenge of corruption, for instance, or when, when we are looking at political discourse, oh, the importance of bringing ethics into politics or bringing ethics into decision-making. However, there is, I would say, a sort of misconception on that ethics is something 
that belongs to the world of theories and abstraction. However, we make decisions every day by the time we go to a supermarket that are actually embedded in our um, uh, beliefs and values uh, and in our, the ethics of our, our, our culture. So ethics is not really something that is abstract or that belongs to the world of theory. It's actually part of our everyday life and it's actually what, what, what brings a community together. No? I invite you to think about uh, our, yeah, something that holds uh, our communities together. So I think one way, there are many ways in which uh, individuals and organizations have made use of their charter uh, in different parts of the world. I often like to refer to Itaipu because Itaipu is uh, one of the largest uh, hydroelectric power plants uh, in the world, generates a lot of electricity um, uh, with about 18 turbines. Um, so it's a huge institution, is a, is a, is actually a, a a government-owned institution between the government of Brazil and Paraguay. And Itaipu, when they were in 2003, when they were looking at ethical references, instruments, uh, when they were just beginning to develop their uh, institutional social responsibility program, they found their charter and immediately embraced it, embraced it because of its broad, incompassive, comprehensive vision that is articulated in their charter. And they started using it as an ethical reference, as an educational instrument to guide their policies, but also most of all, to guide the whole, all their work with uh, um, the, of, of social responsibility with the 29 municipalities that they worked with. So as you can imagine, it's, it's a huge dam, it's a hydroelectric power, it affects or influences the lives of 29 municipalities around them. And uh, in order to address some of the common challenges and, and opportunities, they needed to articulate um, a social responsibility process with those 29 municipalities. And their shadow was used since 2003 uh, as an ethical reference um, to articulate dialogue and education processes and collaboration with these uh, 29 municipalities and above all as an educational instrument because we take for granted that everybody knows what sustainable development is and uh, we take for granted we just say oh sustainability or sustainable development but I think there is often a need to 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 stop and, and have a conversation about what do we mean by that? How do we envision that? What is our values or the, the principles that can guide us towards sustainability? And that's where I think the Earth Charter can play an important role is in helping us clarify this vision and build a shared vision among the different actors. And I think that's how uh, Itaipu has have made significant use of their charter since uh, the year 2003, when we're, they are just beginning and thinking how they would put together their program of uh, social responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yes, so that's integrating ethics in putting it into practice, um, using the Earth Charter as a, as a lens. Yeah, I can even say one thing that they have changed, they have actually changed their mission 
I mean, the mission of the institution that prior to 2003 was basically to generate electricity. And uh, because the leadership and the different actors, internal and external actors of that institution, became aware of their charter, expanded their views and consciousness regarding all these interrelations and, and the, the notion of, of interdependence of things. The mission statement of the institution was changed. Um, uh, they basically realized that the mission of that huge enterprise was not just to generate electricity, but to ensure the quality of life um, of, of people in that region. So I think it's, it's important to mention that it's, it's also, of course, takes a process in, in time of in awakening, you know, the vision of different actors and, and leaders of, of such an institution. Yeah, that's very interesting. So instead of, you know, the, um, their, you know, we provide electricity, they took it a step, step higher by saying, no, we are, um, we are in the business of improving lives, taking into account the whole community of life. So doing Absolutely. as to the environment. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for us to think because we often stay uh, stuck sometimes in the short vision um, and fragmented vision of what we are doing. And therefore, it's important to take time sometimes as much as we can to amplify and, and look at the higher purposes of what we do. Um, so it, it, it takes a special effort to do that. Otherwise... And actually, otherwise, we, we, we stay only using the lenses of, of short-term approach uh, to things. But as you know, actually, the, the uh, important vision that is articulated in their charter that is also core to sustainability is an invitation for us to amplify our vision, not only in terms of our responsibility to other human beings, and other life forms, the community of life, but also with future generations. So it's kind of this, the importance here that is of a long-term vision, of, of playing with short-term approach and long-term approach to what we do, and often inviting us to think of the long-term consequences of what we do, the long-term consequences of our decisions as individuals, and as institutions. So this, this idea is embedded, of course, in sustainability and certain, certainly in their charter, I think in principle four, that articulates the importance of us to expand our sense of responsibility, not only with common good of the current generation, but also the common good and the well-being of future generations. Yeah, thank you. So this is a, an organization that, that um works towards the common good, um, but also as individuals, we can do a lot to, to work towards the common good and, and be and realize, you know, the choices that we make have consequences. So one of our favorite stories is um, the flight of the hummingbirds. Um, it's an inspiration to act on behalf of the world's um, limited and precious resources. Um, for me, this is very much in line with the, with the um, um, vision that is articulated in the Earth Charter. And Vangari Matai embraces this traditional story. It's a traditional story from people from Peru to uh, um, actually to, to, it's a call for universal responsibility, right? 
Um, and um, of course, Wangari Matai is also or was also an Earth Charter champion. Do you feel the story and and the work of Wangari Matai is in line with the Earth Charter as well? Yes, sure. I, it's very much in line. I had the privilege of of being with Wangari Matai since I think ninety eight. Wangari was uh, part of. Um, uh, several drafting meetings of their charter. And there is one thing that she often said, uh, well, we, we keep here, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about words, the meaning of words, and which words to use, which words to use to help us craft an idea. Um, and she says, it, the, all of this is very important, but uh, as important is when we go back home and we just, do something with those words, you know, turn these words into action. She often invited us to, to, to think about that. Um, and I think that was uh, quite an inspiration in terms of, okay, after we do all this talk, let's go home and plant a tree. That's what Wangari Mata used to say. And coming back to the, uh, the flight of the hummingbird story uh, that you use uh, quite a lot um, as an inspiration, I think it's crucial when we are working in these things that we invite, often invite ourselves to turn, turn the camera towards ourselves, right? We often spend time with the cameras looking at others, what, what the rector of the university should be doing, what the president of the country should be doing, what the head of that institution should be doing which is good and it's important to have some critical thinking and et cetera, but as we should spend as much time and if not more, turning the, those cameras and the focus on ourselves. What can I do about this that is generating so much concern for me? Um, so I think that the hummingbird story, it's also an invitation for us to turn the cameras towards ourselves, not only what can I do, but also to inspire us that, that what we do matters. Um, what we do is important, is significant. It makes a change um, in our own context. And it, it may be something that sounds or seems very small, but it actually can have a significant ripple effect. Um, so I think it's a, certainly a, a beautiful in stories, I can understand why it, it is one of your favorite stories, and uh, it's important for us in the current times to inspire all the current generation, uh, young or, or not so young generation, to move away from the status quo and the sense of indifference and the sense of there is nothing much I can do about this. Um, and, and therefore, stories such as this one is quite important uh, to help us not only understand the complexities of the challenges, but also that we can we can contribute um, um, to processes of addressing the challenges in a significant way. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you use you use um, storytelling a lot if you are talking about you know using the earth charter as a tool in education you also use storytelling a lot um so you designed uh, uh, seven elements for to uh, for to form a system 
um, to use the values of the Earth Charter, right? Can you please tell us um, what these elements contain and how this system can be used in education for sustainable development? Hmm. Sure. So it was basically the result of a research I did uh, to try to address this question of is values can values education happen in a way that is not vertical, theoretical, <laughs> uh, that is practical and transformative? Uh, can values education happen using their charter in a way that is transformative, that is inspirational, and that is not rigid or vertical? So to do that, I looked at over 100 stories of good practices of how different people and groups in all regions of the world have been using their charter in different ways. And uh, I identified these seven elements that are often used um, uh, to show or to illustrate that values education using their charter can happen in a way that is, um, that is quite unique um, and that is not limited to, to a theoretical approach. Um, so I, I really saw, so the use of stories um, is actually one of the key elements and it's basically there to, to show that when we talk about values and ethics and principles, we often stay in that realm of theory and conceptual thinking and meaning of words and principles. But as soon as we bring that concept or principle of value into a story, it's like the principle becomes alive. It comes out of the paper and it's kind of the words start moving around. So I have seen it quite often in the past over 20 years on how people have made good use of stories, either stories from others or stories from themselves or inviting the students to share their own personal stories that are linked to um, a value or principles that we can find in their shadow. And that can be quite transformative, uh, using storytelling as a way to give meaning uh, to a, an abstract concept that can be inside a principle or concept or a value. So stories is certainly a very important pedagogical element to be used and, and to consider to be considered using a, in different realms. I, I just wanted to mention that often we talk about storytelling. Um, we think about primary schools or secondary schools, or maybe even yeah, early childhood mostly, and say, okay, telling stories beautiful uh, uh, in the realm of childhood uh, world. Uh, however, I think it actually belongs to any realm of formal and non-formal education setting. Um, there is a misconception that higher education in university stays in that world of theories and, and discourse or dialogue about concepts in an abstract way, but stories and storytelling and, and, and metaphors can, can, can play a central role when we want to shift away from a, a vertical and non-transformative 
process of teaching and learning into a more transformative learning, I think storytelling is, is crucial. It's also crucial because I think it addresses the not only the cognitive, but also very strongly the, the emotional dimension of humans. Um, so anyway, that's a few words about the pedagogical element of stories. But we have also identified other pedagogical elements that are used uh, in values-based education used uh, with the Earth Charter, such as the importance to ensure the human 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 connection no we often come to a to a learning environment thinking mostly about the content that is supposed to be taught <laughs> and learned and we are looking at the content but the invitation here is for us to think oh before we look at the content let's look at the importance of the human connection that needs to be established in a learning environment similarly the human nature connection um, it's very hard for us to 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 stimulate or cultivate a sense of care for the large living world, a sense of care and responsibility for the community of life, if we have a feeling of misperception of disconnection with nature. And therefore, it's important for us to bring, uh, to make sure we often bring some element that allows people to have an experience of human nature connection, not not just cognitive thinking or, or theoretical thinking or conceptual thinking, oh yes, human and nature are connected. No, it's actually, I'm talking here about ensuring that we often bring the opportunity for learn, teachers and learners to experience the human nature connection. Uh, we often thought also of the importance of, of, of raising questions, not only from the professor or the teacher, but also allowing the learners to raise good questions and questions that not always need to have an answer. It's also okay to live within the question, uh, but even raising or articulating good question can become an art, an art that we could all, uh, how to say, invest time. Um, Dialogue, um, it was another element that we have identified. And uh, one thing that I, I can say is that we, we do not have much time to have deep dialogue, let alone dialogue with people who think in a different way than we do. However, when we have that opportunity, it basically helps us to expand our thinking and our views and yeah, to, think, to see things from a different angle. Uh, it helps us to, to go deeper in, into things. The aesthetics of a place and of a way in which we present things, uh, it's often something that it's uh, part of our blind spots, I would say. Uh, we often come with a content into an environment without looking at the importance of, of ensuring that the environment is conducive, the environment is coherent, and it, it's aligned with, with, with the culture that we want to cultivate of care and respect and beauty. Um, anyway, so that's one, one of the elements. Of course, arts and storytelling as, a, as an important element. And, and then uh, the whole idea of integral and systemic approach is also one element that we, 
we thought was important to highlight as one of the seven elements to be considered, um, pedagogical elements to be considered when we want to bring their charter into a learning, teaching and learning environment. Yes, thank you. So um, it helps to also to, to look at the words that you're saying, right? So that's why I shared this uh, slide as well. Um, and a lot of the, the people that watch this, um, the, our conversation are in the field of animal care. Um, so I, um, you know, I can imagine that human nature connection for them is very important. Also educators, for instance, in zoos or in um, sanctuaries. Um, so how can you give some examples on how they can use that human nature connection to, to raise awareness, to, you know, to strengthen their their purpose of, of making that connection? You know, I think there is, it's very different when we see something in a book or yeah. we read or hear about it or we even we see on the TV or films. Then when we come across that something, you know, it could be the sea, the ocean, or it could be a whale. <laughs> It's very different. Like, let's talk about whales. Okay, we can talk for a year about whales, but until you see an, a whale, it something happens to you, right? Yeah. Um, and similarly to everything, we can talk about horses, and I can read about horses, but maybe I never saw a horse. Mm -hmm. But once I have the opportunity to see a horse, maybe even touch a horse or smell a horse, that experience. It's a living experience. It changes the whole thing. So I think zoos <clears throat> is an opportunity. It's, it's, it's a gateway to generate that um, experience, that living experience that can be for life, uh, an experience that can really affect uh, or change the mindsets of, of people. Um, I, I think many of us, I would, I would say, remember uh, an experience of visiting a zoo and seeing certain animals for the first time. It's something that's, you know, generated a certain emotion uh, in us. Um, so I, I think <clears throat> if, if people who work in zoos look at these pedagogical elements um, and just <clears throat> select or, gen or use some of them, uh, whenever the opportunity emerges, it will be nice. Like generate a question or ask the child or the person, like, what question do you have about this animal that you are seeing? Um, or raising a question to stimulate thinking. Um, so it's, a, it's an important thing, you know. Um, if there's an opportunity to touch the animal, uh, to smell the animal, it's, it, it generates another level of this human nature connection. The first time I... I do remember uh, uh, 10 days ago, I went to a mountain here. There was horses and, and we, we, we wanted to touch the horses. And there was very a different experience of human connection with animals, no? rather than just seeing a horse in a book, in a photo or in the TV, but then seeing the horse and then touching the horse. It, it just uh, it, it, it amplifies our experience and our learning uh, uh, kind of brings us into our psyche and our emotions in a different level. So the zookeeper can uh, think of ways to generate that and, and sharing stories, uh, 
of of the the animals that in interesting ways so anyway some thoughts yes for sure and then um, when you are explaining this then we also see that all these elements are connected right um, so it's not only about the connection that you can create as a caretaker with with an animal or with an environment but also the stories that you share um, the stories that you know the, the experience that you as a caretaker have with a certain animal that strengthen um, the learning process um, and then the questions you know uh, of course again uh, strengthen that um, that learning process that that connection creating that connection with uh, the natural world um, and as such um, uh, also creating um, respect and care so one of the, the elements is um, integral and systemic approach, um, as you explained to us. Um, and this brings me to the topic of system thinking. And the um, system thinking approach acknowledges the interdependence of life. Uh, and the Earth Charter is an uh, ethical document that guides our behavior in the acknowledgement of this interdependence. Can you elaborate on the connection or the importance of system thinking um, using the Earth Charter lens or the Earth Charter principles? Yeah, sure. Thank you for that question. Uh, system thinking is integral for us to understand sustainability. So in order for us to address, uh, the to move, to address, to understand the unsustainable, unsustainable challenges we all face and move it to a more sustainable society, it's crucial to uh, instill in us uh, a systemic literacy. So that's crucial, it's essential for us to understand sustainability is we have to look at things through the lenses of relationships, right? Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the Earth Shadow was organized or is organized in six, with six principles in four parts that are to be seen uh, in interrelated. There are to be seen in a, through a systemic approach. So it's very important to understand that although it's four parts, 16 principles, there is a systemic nature in which the Earth Shadow was articulated. It's very important to, to emphasize that. However, I want to come back to the seven elements and in how and why that seven element uh, is called systemic thinking and integrated approach. It's actually from a pedagogical angle. It's actually thinking, okay, when a, when a teacher comes to the classroom, the invitation is for the teacher to, to use this systemic lens of the classroom system, meaning that we come to the classroom with the content that we want to share. And again, we have to, to, to take some step back and, and kind of use these lenses that see through things. For instance, how am I doing today as a teacher? How is my system, you know, my, my own well-being, my, my emotional health, my physical health, um, my mental health, how, how am I, am I, uh, how is my, my integral well-being as a teacher to come and be able to give the best I can to the, to the interactions that I'm going to generate. And similarly, 
the invitation is for the teacher to be mindful that the learners, the people that the teacher is interacting with, might not be 100% in everything. So you are you come and you are expecting the students to give the best and the 100% of them today and always. However, maybe there is something happening in their lives that is not going to allow them to give the best of themselves. They didn't, maybe they didn't, they, they or you as a teacher didn't sleep well. So you are tired, very simple, you know, physically tired. Maybe you are concerned with some financial issues of your family or with health issues of your family. So your emotions are not in a hundred percent in in the sense that you can give the best to yourself to that learning moment and environment. So the, that seventh, seventh element that it, we identify there, there is actually an invitation for the teacher to be mindful and look at, at the, like using a prisma uh, that has set different angles and sides um, of the learning environment. Uh, starting with with your own self and and then be mindful with what's going on in the classroom so that actually there is an interaction with the content that is to be taught right but just being mindful of this human interactions and in the various systems that each one of us bring um, into a learning environment mm -hmm. yes and then system thinking as as you said is very much based on relationship um, relationship to each other and to to the um, greater community of life. Um, so, um, how how do you can you maybe give us an example on how you bring that when you are teaching into the classroom? Well, how do I bring teach uh, system thinking or mm -hmm. ah, stories is actually an interesting way um, uh, to bring system thinking. Uh, asking people to relate to their life stories, the subject matter to their life stories, for instance, um, makes it very concrete. Um, inviting people to take just a minute to take their pulse and, and breathe in, breathe out, uh, feel connected, uh, being aware of, of our current status of emotion, physical status, emotion, cognitive, and it's kind of taking the pulse of ourselves, but also acknowledging all those who are around us um, and understand that not everything is always 100%, but trying to, how to say, to put everybody more or less and as much as we can in the same wavelengths of openness, wavelengths of uh, caring, of care, um, of wavelengths of bringing the best of us into that learning process. Yes. Yeah, and I remember um, when when I was in your class that you started off with an exercise um, about breakfast. Do you remember that one? How how can you explain that one to us? Yeah, I well, there are many different ways in which we bring that, but basically it can be inviting people to think about what they have eaten in the morning of that day, specifically the more this morning, what did we eat? Yeah. Uh, how many people were involved uh, in, in that thing? How many, how many elements? Where does that come from? Uh, how many people were empowered or disempowered so that you could have your breakfast and the many things you, you could have eaten for your breakfast? So yeah, so it's basically an invitation for us to think or make 
make visible what sometimes is not visible or we don't think. We just sit, eat and think, oh, how delicious or not delicious is whatever we are eating. But it's an invitation for us to expand our vision, you know, to see beyond uh, what we be beyond the, the whatever we are eating, <laughs> and where does that come from in terms of in the impact of from the social dimension, the environment dimension, the economic dimension of what we are eating uh, every day? Yes, thank you. For, so for me, that was a a very eye opening um, exercise on. Uh, system uh, based on system thinking actually so that's why I asked you um, to explain that um, in one of the webinars last year you talked about the importance of planetary well-being in the contemporary world why is that such an important topic for you well uh, our societies in general uh, and conventionally we have been taught to think about the well-being of my country or the well-being of my people, but I think we never really had much exposure or invitation to think about planetary well-being. So again, what the Rashada does often is, is an invitation for us to expand our consciousness, to expand our thinking. And therefore, um, we have been working on, on, on the narrative, uh, on the importance to generate a narrative to that helps us to think about the importance of planetary well-being and the importance of contributing to planetary well-being. And also an invitation for us to just think and generate dialogues on what does that mean? You know, what does that imply? Uh, does the, how much the decisions I'm making, how much the decisions my institution or my family is making today that have, have an impact has an impact in the planetary well-being. Is it a positive impact? Is it a big impact? Is it a small impact? Or is it a negative impact in the in the well-being of, of the planet? And planet being people, the community of life, you know, all life forms that are here in the planet in the short run and in the long run. So I think it's very important because once we start talking about that, once we, we start generating images in our minds and hearts on what is a planetary well-being and how important it is and how important that I contribute to planetary well-being, then it makes it easier for us to move towards that. The fact is, uh, for the past hundred years, uh, humanity have been focused on economic well-being, on human well-being, on the importance to ensure that the well-being of economy so that we can all eat or have jobs and etc so we have been so uh, what has driven a lot of our decisions pol political decisions or individuals decisions actually uh, institutions and, and even our own family much of our decisions have been driven by the economic aspect of our decisions right um, but not necessarily on the higher purpose or this expanded view of how much my decisions is, are contributing or not with planetary well-being. So it's important if we are to, to move towards a civilization that has uh, more and more in, uh, of a planetary consciousness, 
we need to start talking about that uh, and we need to start generating uh, that image in, in on the on what it is and the importance of that and how much we contribute or not to planetary well-being yes thank you wonderful so um to conclude our dialogue um uh, a lot of the the seven elements uh, within this conversation they pop up every time so so i really like that i love that you know uh, our participants as i said are are um, animal and nature lovers um, and uh, storytelling is an important element, especially when storytelling comes from the heart, as you as you explained, right, with passion and, and something that you experience yourself. Can you share with us an unforgettable special experience that you've had in nature? Sure. I will share a story of my childhood and then a story of my young adult life. Uh, one that has to do directly do with animals. So the first one is when I was a child, as I mentioned at the beginning, I used to spend a lot of time in my fa father's farm, actually all my holidays. And there was a particular year, I was maybe eight years, eight, seven or eight years old. Uh, there was a calf that was born uh, without being able to stand up. So the calf was, had the hands torn and was paraplegic basically. So he, he wouldn't be able to live for long. But I I spent all my my two months there um, uh, waking up in the morning. So that was my inspiration um, to wake up in the morning and, and go run to a place where I could get some milk, put it in a bottle and go and give the calf uh, milk um, in a bottle, just as when we, we give milk to a baby so I I mean this happened many years ago over 40 years ago and I can assure you that I can still see the eyes of that calf looking at me uh, so there was a very beautiful loving and connection uh, or connection with based on care and relationship with that calf was really very important to my life I can now still feel the the eye to eye contact that I had with that calf for a period of time. And then another one is um, one day I was walking in the high mountains in Switzerland. It was uh, there was a lot of snow. I was have always been curious, so I was walking in the path and I decided to get out of the path and walk a few steps to see the other side of the mountain. At that moment, I fell in a hole, I fell in a hole of, um, of snow, but it was next to a glacier. So I could easily go into those holes of a glacier. And of course, my heart, you know, I was I saw death in my in that moment. And the person that was with me pulled me back again. It was in high mountains. We we're very it was cold and we we're kind of lonely there. And I, I came out of that hole. But uh, the the this this feelings of strong feeling of connection with the whole. Uh, there was a mix of fear, but also calmness of of being part of that whole, that mountain, that glacier with snows and cold. And so I also can still feel and remember this happened 
over 30 years ago uh, in a mountain in Switzerland. Uh, and it was certainly a moment of feeling of life and death. Um, I, I remember coming back from that hole and, uh, and being with a strong fear of where should I step? Where should I put my, 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 my feet so that I wouldn't go back to a hole? So that was really a very unique moment in my life that I felt a very strong connection with my surrounding mm -hmm. that gave me fear, but above all, a sense of peace and connection. Yes, beautiful. Thank you so much, Miriam, for, for sharing all that information with us, inspiring us. And um, um, we were, were really happy that, that you could spend a little bit of your time with us sharing your knowledge and your vision. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Irma. It's really a pleasure to be here and to be able to, to talk with you and to share these stories. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.